Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint, I want to thank you for joining me again today. As always, as we say, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash feelyourfandom. Or you can find us on our Buzzsprout page, which is feelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. But either way, if you'd like to participate in this show, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on Facebook and do that there. Or you can find us in our Gmail, which is feelyourfandom at gmail.com. Now, as a lot of you all know, I am a musician. One of the ways that I got my start as a musician, funny enough, was as a karaoke DJ and as a karaoke participant. And so... What I learned to do was, what karaoke is, for all intents and purposes, is you covering someone's music. So uh, I always really listened for interesting covers and things that I enjoyed uh, picking up from p- different people's interpretations of uh, of an original track. And so I got a bright hair up my butt today to, to sit and talk about one of the things that spurred me into being a musician, which is cover music. Now... Cover music can go uh, really, really good and really, really unique and really interesting, or it can go completely off the rails and into something that is more akin to uh, scratching nails on a chalkboard, especially if you're really into the music that you uh, are trying to hear the cover of. And so uh, what I wanted to do today is kind of discuss uh, what entails a good cover, what makes a good cover, what makes a bad cover, and then kind of go through some of the goods and bads that, that have been present in music for the last however many years. And so uh, I wanted to bring on someone who had a wide breadth of musical knowledge as well. Uh, I So I reached out to a friend of the program, uh, Mr. Jim Schweitzer. Jim, how you doing? I'm good, Kevin. And, um, you know, I really, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to apologize in advance. Um, you're a, a musician. I'm really not. I'm a drummer, so I'm musician adjacent, but <laughs> I will try to hang. I'll do my best. Now, um, you know. I, I would never cast aspersions on whether a drummer is a musician or not. Now, I've seen some drummers that that just beat themselves up relentlessly to get a good tune out. And me, as a, as a vocalist, I follow the drummer a lot of the time for my musical cues. So uh, you may get people who uh, who rag on drummers, but it's not going to be me, because that's certainly nothing I can do. It is the classic drummer joke. We, we we do have quite a bit of pride in what we do. We're just too humble to really show it. <laughs> uh, and typically speaking, uh, m- one of my favorite drummer jokes, and in fact, I'm sure you've probably heard this before, is uh, uh, what do you call a-, a drummer without a girlfriend? Is he homeless? Homeless, that's right. I uh, see. My favorite drummer joke is, is a, a multi-parter. It's um, how do you know when there's a drummer on your front porch? How's that? The knocking speeds up and he doesn't know when to come in. <laughs> How do you get him off your front porch? How's that? You pay him for the pizza. <laughs> now, what's the difference between that pizza and the drummer? The pizza can feed a family of four. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. Jesus, and then that's funny. Uh, we actually just switched drummers in our band. Uh, didn't lose anybody in the band. We just kind of added a new instrument. So now we have two guitars instead of. Uh, we just had a bass player, a drummer, and a, and a guitar before, but now we have two guitars, a bass, and a drum. So, and then me, who does. always helps to thicken up that sound somewhat. Oh, and it's chonky. It's chonky. It's going to be good. 
Chunky boys, and go for it. It's not like we don't have time to sit and record new music at this point, too. So we are working very hard on that. But we're actually working on some cover music for the band, too, because everyone likes to take a break and just kind of get down with something that, you know, that inspired them or is just a lot of fun. And, and so uh, that's kind of what brought this to head, too, is I've been thinking about the covers that I want to do with the band and what I can do to them to make them unique. And, and sure. so it, it just kind of spurred this naturally. Now, uh, for all of you out there who are not quite familiar with what a cover is, uh, which I think is maybe one of you out there, everyone knows what a cover is, but to, to kind of spell it out, a cover is some retelling or retaking of an original source song. And, and if it's a good cover, they're kind of doing something unique with it, making it their own, changing... Uh, not necessarily the musical structure or the the vocal structure, but changing like an intonation or changing the way that they perform it. Uh, Jim, what, do you, what would you say is your definition of a perfect cover song? Well, see, I kind of actually have a different view on it. It's I, I agree with you that a good cover, like a really good cover, can be taking an existing song and putting a new spin on it, but I tend to have appreciation for photography as well as paintings. And by that I mean... If it's a painting, then it's a new interpretation. But if it's a photograph, I also tend to appreciate covers where the band puts in a, the amount of effort in, that they would need to to recreate the song in an almost exact note-for-note note way. And there's a couple of those out there that I've heard that I really appreciate. Not as many, because, you know, like you said, a cover most of the time is, this is our spin on this tune. But there are a couple of covers out there that um, are almost indiscernible from the originals, and those those I appreciate for the technical proficiency as well. And and do you have an example that you can give us as far as that goes? Well, the first one um, that comes to mind immediately is uh, Faith No More's cover of the Commodore's Easy, which instrumentally is incredibly similar um, to the uh, Lionel Richie-led Commodore's version. Um, they do cut out the second verse, and some parts of the vocal are a little bit different, but for the most part, it's it's almost a recreation of the original song. Not quite note for note, but close enough that you know a lot of the time... You'll be listening to it and until Mike Patton comes in instead of Lionel Richie. You don't know which one it is you're listening to. So that's one, and there are a couple of others. I'm sure they'll probably come up, but that's that. That to me um, is is kind of like it. It shows a certain amount of dedication to the source material as well as a certain technical precision. Or like the other example that that isn't really a cover, um, I guess, is just sort of like the entire parody oeuvre of like a Weird Al Yankovic, because um, his band is phenomenal and they recreate the songs that they do, the instrumental portion of it anyway, oh, to yeah. such an exact degree. So Absolutely. that's kind of a ancillary to like the cover it's not really it is kind of a cover they you know they, they change the lyrics and and um you know the lead vocal to hilarious and devastating effect but the, the music itself uh the band they're the most versatile band in the world because they can sound like anybody so that's, that's something else that kind of falls into that category yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and that always impresses me yeah that's that that's that to me is is a great example of a cover because it's just really um it, it's it's so spot on to the original song 
Right, and, 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 and I guess that is a different way you can take with cover music. Now, I've always looked at things like... Uh, one of my favorite examples is... Uh, there's a group called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Which oh, is, I love those guys. Yeah, it's kind of a throw-together group from a couple of different of the punk projects, MXPX and and a couple other bands, and they just kind of get... Most the, of what they do is covers, right? Yeah, no, with uh, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, it's all covers. Yeah. And what they do is they do theme albums, like... Uh, They'll do an entire album of uh, 60s or 70s tracks. They'll do an entire album of show tunes. They'll do an entire album of country music, which is actually really surprisingly good. Who put the bop in the bop, 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 bop? Who put the ram in the ram, I'm a ding dong? Who put the bop in the bop, 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 bop? Who put the dip in the dip, 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 dip? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my So it's really interesting to listen to them uh, do their interpretations of a song. And it's kind of a punk rockish kind of version of uh, whatever you're listening to. Obviously, it's going to be swayed in that direction. But it's really interesting to see uh, their take on things like uh, Dolly Parton's Jolene. Or uh, Yeah, which is, I, I'm going to try to remember to bring that up later because I recently heard a cover of Jolene that, that blew me out of the water. But I'll, we'll come back to that. Right, and I'm looking down my list of people. We had a like I've I've asked uh, and solicited uh, uh, information from people to try and get their opinions in this show, and I have never had a thread as active uh, as I've had with this one. But I think Jolene made the list, and give me one moment. Uh, Jack White. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Is that the one you're thinking See, of? See, I have not heard Jack White's version, but mm. uh, I do like Jack White. The White Stripes are a very seminal band, and, and Jack is, is a, a, an undeniable maestro. So I, I'll have to, to, to definitely check that out when I get a chance. So in your opinion, uh, we can kind of go either way. You, you're, you're more of a fan of like a, a truly note-for-note, shot-for-shot remake? Is that what you're saying? or do you, do you? I don't know that I would say I'm more of a fan, but I think in order for me to really appreciate a cover, it's got to be one of those two. Either so different from the original song that you almost don't know what you're listening to till they actually hit like the first or second verse, or so spot-on that you, you don't realize it's not the original song until maybe somebody different is singing it. Both of them, I really do. I appreciate them both on their own merits, but most of the covers that I truly love kind of fall into one of those two categories. No, and that makes a lot of sense. Now... Now, there have been, uh, we talk a lot about what's a good cover, what's a bad cover, and, and we're going to yeah. kind of break those down in the, in the next break here. We're going to get into good covers, and then by the end, we're going to go through and list uh, uh, not just the ones that we think are bad, but ones that uh, uh, my audience has kind of kicked back to me as bad cover music as well. Sure. So, 
But well, when you said something about me first in the Gimme Gimme's, it kind of reminded me that I, I was not familiar with some of the stuff you talked about later on when they did like the country stuff or whatever. Um, but I, when I first heard them, I heard them kind of doing a ska punk thing, and it made me... It was I found it interesting because to take existing songs and kind of redo them in a different existing style I find interesting, and that kind of reminds me of one of my favorite cover acts is Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine. Wake up, grab a brush and put on a little makeup, hide the scars and fade away that shake-up. Why'd you leave the keys upon the table? You wanted to! Why'd you leave the keys upon the table? You wanted to! Why did you leave the keys upon the table? I love the lounge and, against the machine. Uh, Holy shit. I mean, not only does Dick Cheese have the absolute perfect lounge <laughs> singer voice, and but he does. I mean, he, the songs he chooses, I mean, he's, it's, it's so swinging and so smooth, and you can just you can hear the leopard print suit and the slick back pompadour um, in his voice. But the, the thing that I love about what he does is he picks the songs, like he'll, he'll do, some of my favorites from him is like um, uh, Down With The Sickness by Disturbed or... Um, Rape Me by Nirvana. He takes these songs that are that are pretty punchy, pretty aggressive, pretty crunchy and heavy, and he just you know applies like um, brush to drums and, and piano and, oh, and yeah. that classic smooth lounge singer voice. And that to me is is just a, and to, to to spoof an entire genre to say this is my genre of music and I'm going to do songs in that style. Um, that makes me just smile from ear to ear every time I hear him. Oh. Right, and in addition to uh, uh, Down With The Sickness was one of the ones that I had heard originally from him first. And uh, yeah. one of my absolute favorites, and there's no reasoning behind it, it's just because it's funny to me. Uh, he did a cover of Mystical's uh, uh, Shake Your Ass. Shake your ass, show me what you're working with. Shake your ass, watch yourself. Shake your ass, show me what you're working with. I said shake your <laughs> and uh, which I never would have thought of as a lounge song, and and that's fantastic about him. And now one of my biggest regrets, uh, having been to Las Vegas numerous times, one of my my all time regrets is having missed him playing at the House of Blues by like a day and a half. Oh, and that's awful. Richard Cheese is a very uh, uh, very strong candidate for wacky covers now, and I, and there's a lot of it on. Uh, YouTube now, as as an avid YouTube watcher, I don't have cable TV at my house. I just don't. There's like sixteen thousand streaming services that we have, yes, but cable TV, no. So uh, most of my uh, up to date stuff comes from YouTube. And so one of the people that I follow on YouTube is this guy called Ten Second Songs. He's a lot of fun, yeah. And and what he does is he will take a track. And break it down not just in one different style, but over like 20 or 30 or whatever styles over the course of the entire song. So. Lyrics coming at you at supersonic speed. JJ Fat. Someone, I'm a doom, I'm a human. What I gotta dedicate it to you. I'm super human. Hit a bit of a minute, I'm a 
He'll play a style, uh, like he'll be playing a song in the style of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and then move into uh, Frank Sinatra or move into, you know, uh, Screamo Cannibal Corpse, Death Metal. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's re- always unique and always really interesting when he takes that something sense. that we're so used to and just kind of morphs it on its ear. And, and uh, that guy's a lot of fun. I'll put a, a link to his... Uh, uh, his YouTube channel in the description down below because uh, I, for one, would love him to come on the show and talk about the, what he does, but uh, uh, he, he does a good job, and I really enjoy him. And, and another person that I've really enjoyed as far as cover music goes now, uh, you may or may not have heard from this guy. His name is Leo Morcioli. Oh sure, yeah. He does the metal covers of like pop and rock songs. He's brilliant. Absolutely, and 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 I I've told people previous to this that Leo is one of the few people that has made me go out as soon as I heard uh, the first track that I heard by him. I went out immediately and found his uh, Patreon page and started going throwing money at him because yeah, he's he's got he's got mad talent that guy. Well, and and this was right as the song Africa was blowing up again. But I heard his metal version of Africa, which we're going to dump a sample of right here. And that's what brought me to him. And, and so I sat there and extensively worked my way back through his entire uh, catalog. And some are hits and some are misses. But by and large, there's always a smile on my face when I'm listening to him. Because it's so off the wall and so wacky. To include yeah. his cover, his heavy metal cover of Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. Oh, the shame, what's the shame? Thought I'm changing my name. <laughs> which i thought was yeah. amazing oh, speaking of off the wall and wacky to, to, to drag it back like five minutes i thought of another uh um, example of spot on note for note perfect covers sure that i found on youtube a little while ago um that kind of reminds me i think i found it was uh, i, I want to say it was a suggestion when i was watching one of leo's videos in the sidebar that i found these guys there's a and this is this is completely improbable and and very difficult to describe it sounds really like it's a made-up thing <laughs> but there is a russian chicago cover band called leonid and friends l-e-o-n-i-d and friends and they are from all over the former soviet union in russia and these guys do chicago covers and the chicago the band like the horn band from the 60s and 80s and what i find most interesting about that is that the reason why they cover these guys and leonid has given several interviews was that you know when the Soviet curtain, uh, the Iron Curtain, and the Soviet Union was still up and, and kind of blocking Western culture, um, Chicago 
was one of the few bands that was determined by the, the government to be non-threatening and non-political and, and wasn't going to you know, plant um, dissident ideas into the heads of the public. So Chicago Records was some of the few rock and roll records that got imported in, into the Soviet Union in the 60s. So this guy grew up loving Chicago and thinking this is what Western rock music is like and loving it. So this guy put together a band of Russian musicians, most of whom only spoke English phonetically when they sang the lyrics to start off with, and started recording these Chicago covers. And the guy has done an exhaustive amount of them. He's got something like 40 or 50 videos on YouTube playing like Chicago's greatest hits with this full band with several guitarists, a keyboardist, horns. And it blew up because um, a couple of the guys from Chicago noticed them because somebody obviously said, you got to check these dudes out and <laughs> send them a link. And they put up... Um, one of their videos on the official Chicago website. So these guys kind of blew up. Their videos get millions of views, and they've actually been able to tour the States twice doing Chicago covers as a Russian cover band. And they are brilliant. If you, you know, just go to, to YouTube and search Leonid and Friends or Chicago Russian Cover Band. I'm sure that'll come up as well. But these guys, talk about note-perfect covers. If you close your eyes, you can't tell the difference, and you wouldn't believe it if you didn't see them actually playing the instruments on the video in front of you. And for to that end, we've got 25 or 6 to 4 by Chicago here. Let's take a listen. Yeah, it's those guys blew me away. And I, I think I fell down a rabbit hole for a couple of hours just watching all their Chicago covers, and every single one of them is as good as the last one, if not better. That's impressive. And 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 so that was a sample of 25 or 64 uh, by Chicago, but covered by uh, Leonid and Friends. Uh, and that was uh, three years ago, and they've got 3.4 million views on this. Almost 4 million views on this now. Yeah, That's they deserve impressive. every one. They're phenomenal. They are. I'm impressed, and I have a feeling once we're done recording, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole with you, but... Uh, uh, now, now, one of the things that, like I said, I started off doing karaoke. I started off doing uh, things like that. But I moved into, my first band was a top 40 cover band. And so, uh, no no original material. We would just get up and do our interpretations of uh, Metallica or, or Green Day sure. or whatever else. Name your band. We, we probably did it. Um, uh, and which led me to my second band, which was a... Uh, tool tribute act which was called 46 and 2 and the slight difference with that was with the cover band i didn't give a shit about if it was technically spot on perfect i kind of did my own thing and as long as it was close we were fine i mean yeah but tool is really hard to fake that you know uh, maynard and the boys are incredibly mathematically precise with their music so yeah i can imagine that would have been uh, definitely represented a significant challenge i i well i didn't know it was going to be a challenge when i started that's the problem is is uh, me and my uh, my old bass player Jamie, we got to, we were forming a new top forty cover band because the other one, previous one, had broken up, and so we were going through the motions and learning, you know, Green Day, Metallica, and Buck Cherry, and fucking Nickelback, and all of this shit. And, yeah, sure. And and we got done with the practice at one point. We looked at each other, and and he's like, "Dude, if I have to do one more Nickelback song, I'm gonna put a bullet in my head." And, <laughs> and I said, "You're just playing it. I have to sing it, man. I'm right there with you." And so we started doing, uh, dicking around with some other stuff, and, and he starts playing this bass line. And I'm like, oh, that's sexy. What is that? And he goes, oh, that's Tool. I'm like, well, we're doing that. I like that. And, of course, I didn't yeah. realize how ridiculous Tool was as a whole. But 
I already said it, so we did it, and, and I, that was a successful cover band, we, or a tribute band that we did for almost five years, so. Yeah, I, I was in a band for a long time that was kind of trying to make our bones as an original band. We did a pretty wide variety of original stuff, but, you know, if you're going to play a four-hour show, you know, in a in suburb of Milwaukee, you have to keep people in their seats or on the floor, so you want to do stuff that they might know. So we wound up learning a lot of covers, and our philosophy toward the covers was we tried to do them as close to note perfect as we could, right. and we actually wound up putting out a. Uh, um, we, we we would always record like a, a whenever we would do an album, we do like a big CD of original stuff, and then we put out a small free CD of their outtakes, or we actually put out a free bonus CD once um, called Quilts, Lids, and Tarps because we thought we were being clever because it was all covers, and we <laughs> covered. Um, like Rio by Duran Duran, and we did In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, and I'm actually sending you a link as we speak of our cover of uh, Under Pressure oh, nice. uh, by Queen and Bowie, which um, usually went over pretty well because, you know, even though I didn't sound like David Bowie and our, our guitar player who sang the higher parts didn't sound like Freddie Mercury, we still did everything we could to get the vocal parts down in terms of the harmony and in terms of, of making sure the melody was there, and we hit the notes, and, and then instrumentally we just drilled the track to make sure that it was... Uh, as close to the original recording as we possibly could. So, this is our last dance. This is ourselves. I think probably my philosophy towards I really like covers that are almost you know note for note transcription photographs of the original song kind of comes from you know the ten years I spent in that band um, learning covers to a real you know precise level. So you know, but we didn't try and attempt any tool. I actually was in a band for a little while that played uh, Stink Fist, and and just getting that drum part down took a couple of weeks of woodshedding. So I definitely sympathize with uh, with trying to <laughs> trying to play tool stuff and, and do that as close to the original as possible. Stink Fist was one of my favorites actually to do, and uh, we never called it woodshedding. We always called it tool shedding. But see, that was always a lot of fun because I, I I'm, I'm right there with you. When we were doing the Tool Tribute Band, we tried to make the stuff as technically accurate as possible, and. One of the actually yeah. the biggest accolades that I ever got doing that band. Uh, I mean, we we had a very successful uh, regional club act going around, and in fact, we got hired a couple of times to do private parties, and uh, we took a break in between sets at one of our shows downtown, uh, downtown Olympia, when we were playing, and uh, this guy comes up to me and he's like super into everything he's super pumped and and of course you know my ego being what it is went out of control listening to him talk because uh one of the things that he said was i had ozfest tickets for tonight i gave them up to come see you guys wow that yeah that's high praise that was huge and so i, I like to think we did a pretty good job with uh with tool at 46 and 2 but uh you know nothing lasts forever so onward and upward yeah true so but with the uh, with the band I'm in now, I'm uh, uh, I'm in a band called Another Sentiment now, and we kind of fluctuate and alter between a couple of different uh, uh, cover songs that we did. We we started out with uh, Fight for Your Right by Beastie Boys, and that kind of got done by rote. It was just too easy kind of thing. And yeah. So we moved into we did uh, uh, so we did Basket Case, and and 
that kind of got annoying after a while. So uh, we, we like I said, we just do one for a couple times until we get sick of it, and then we do another one. And uh, lately, ours has been well before the COVID ninth nonsense hit. Uh, we had been mm-hmm. doing um, uh, Toxicity by System of a Down. Oh, that's and a good one. So everybody jumps up and switches instruments, and that was always kind of funny. But uh, now we're talking about uh, a Pantera medley that we're going to do or uh, are moving into something a little more heavy. So I'm looking forward to that challenge. Yeah, my old band used to do the same thing. We used to uh, take a break and then come back, and everybody would move one instrument to the right because none of us was quite as proficient on our secondary acts as we were on our primary one. But uh, we we could get through um, with some simple arrangements. We just kind of wanted to fuck with people a little bit. Just hey, wasn't he the drummer before? Because uh, I play like a, a little tiny bit of bass, and I'm reasonably all right on, on rhythm guitar. So we would just kind of all pick up and move one to the just rotate one around. So our our original logo included a uh, sort of a Boar's um, Adam model in the name of the band. Because uh, we just were trying to indicate that, you know, we, we move around a little bit. You know, we're not going to do what you expect us to do. So that's that was always a lot of fun to watch the faces when that happened. Yeah, and I enjoy things like that. Unfortunately, uh, being the vocalist in my act, I, I don't actually play an instrument. So, I mean, I could, I could probably make noise, but I couldn't make anything rhythmic or anything approaching music. So... Sometimes noise is great. Don't sell yourself short. Well, anyways, uh, we're going to take a real short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about good cover music. What makes these covers so good? Like, is it something unique? Is it something that just sets them apart from either the original or sets them apart from other people who have tried it? But stick around. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Uh, So we're here to talk about now good cover music. And uh, during the break, me and Jim were talking, and and one of his particular subsets of the the genre, if it were, uh, I want to let him talk about here for a minute. Jim, what was it you were telling me? Well, I, I have a real soft spot because I kind of I, I went through a hip hop phase when I was you know in junior high. It was uh, danger at a safe distance. I grew up in a pretty small town, so I got into a lot of um, a lot of pretty seminal rap stuff, and so I, I have a lot of that kind of knocking around my back catalog. So one of the things that makes me happiest is and, and most of my my frame of reference for most of the music that I, I kind of moved on to was like '90s alt rock. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I love is when a traditionally like melodic alt rock band will do like a really interesting take on like a rap song, which uh, there seemed to be kind of a thing for a little while. Um, I, I want to say like one of the first ones was Dynamite Hack doing Boys in the Hood, and I. That one's one of my least favorite ones just because it almost seems like the way they're doing it, it's almost in mockery, but um, it still is, it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, this sort of really hardcore gangster rap song being presented in this really sort of laid back Southern California um, presentation, but that was the one that I, I think I remember hearing first, but then uh, on the Coneheads soundtrack, the Coneheads movie soundtrack, the film with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, Bare Naked Ladies of all bands did a cover of uh, Public Enemy's Fight the Power that was liquid brilliance. It was just so well done. Whereas the original song was uh, 
mostly turntablism and samples. Um, these guys played the, the, the song full out with full instrumentation, the five-piece full instrumentation, but they tried to do what they could to approximate like the arrangement of the original sample-based song. And who did this? And then, this is Bare Naked Ladies. And uh, Ed Robertson took the Chuck D parts, and Stephen Page took the Flavor Flav parts, and given sort of their vocal tones, it just really worked. And... Bare Naked Ladies have always loved because they don't take themselves too seriously, but they really take their music very seriously. They've done some really amazing, like, upbeat, kind of post-grunge pop, power pop uh, stuff. Um, but they did this song, and it just, it just fucking spanked. It was so good. That is a very interesting track. Uh, now, I will give you yeah. one that kind of counters that track. Is, yeah. uh, I distinctly remember... Uh, uh, wasn't it uh, Ben Folds from the Ben Folds Five doing Gin and Juice? Uh, yeah, he also did Bitches Ain't Shit, which was what, it's one of my personal favorites of all time. That was going to be the next one that I brought up because it's so. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gin, he did Gin and Juice, I think, and he also did uh, Bitches Ain't Shit, which was just, he did it as like a very slow, spacey, almost Lana Del Rey piano cover. Yeah, that was yeah. unbelievably brilliant. Bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. Lick on these nuts and suck the dick Let's get the fuck out after you're done And I hops in my ride to make a quick run I used to know a bitch named Eric Wright We used to roll around and fuck the hoes at night Tighter than a motherfucking gangster beats And we was born on the motherfucking Compton streets And I and remember then, um, hearing that because, I mean, I grew up listening to uh, yeah. Snoop Dogg and, and Dr. Dre and all of them and and to hear this such a just a twisted version of of that song and i can't believe i haven't heard the fight the power one but uh yeah that was a fantastic those are good picks those are very good picks and then the, the last one that i want to bring up that i thought was great nina gordon who is a um she's a solo singer songwriter she used to be half of the um the the duo of uh, veruca salt uh, who brought us uh, Seether and Volcano Girls back in the late mid '90s? Mm-hmm. Um, she did a really beautiful, heartfelt cover of Straight Outta Compton uh, as a willowy white woman singing the lyrics that were originally laid down by N.W.A. And it's uh, it's just really, it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't. It has no right to work as well as it does. But she she just sells it with this earnest authenticity that I've always find really appealing. Live it up smooth. Ain't no telling when I'm down for a jack move. Here's a murder rap to keep you dancing with a crime record like Charles Manson. My AK-47 is a tool. Don't make me act a motherfucking fool. Oh my God. That is pure fried gold. Yeah, I, I love that one. And that's I have to come back to that once in a while to just remind myself of that there is actual beauty in the world. Because, you know, it can be very easy to do it like as I'm poking fun at this kind of thing. To almost do it in a in a parodic sense. But, you know, she, she brings this beautiful poetry to it that I've always really appreciated. It's super graceful and you can't tell that she's fucking with anything. I mean, it yeah. sounds so genuine when she's doing it. And you know she's having fun with it because how could you not? But uh, It's yeah. a great song to begin with and then the way she does it just kind of adds dimensions. I agree. Well, I put the question out to uh, all of my listeners on Facebook, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list a couple of the ones that they listed as good cover tracks, and we can discuss yeah. whether you agree or disagree. You ready? 
You bet. The first one, and this one come up quite a bit, Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, covered by Johnny Cash. What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away In the end Um, yeah, that one They brought so uh, much emotion into that song Which is already Oh my god Super emotional to begin with Yeah, and I was I'm, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan I think Trent Rezo does an amazing job But even Trent has said in interviews a couple of times that he doesn't consider that his song anymore. And for somebody like Johnny Cash, who's, who was at the time, you know, obviously he's the late Johnny Cash now, but at the time he was, the, you know, living legend, national treasure Johnny Cash, to do a song by, you know, kind of a niche industrial, industrial rock, act. yeah. Yeah, it's it, it just, but the way he sings it, he just brings so I mean, it was one of the last things he ever recorded. So much emotion. Raw, raw. He just really emotion. poured everything into that, yeah. And uh, you can just hear in his voice. Absolutely. Uh, you can hear regret, you can hear longing, you can hear reflection. And this was um, only a couple, like, was it like a year or so after uh, uh, his wife had died, June Cash? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. But it's that that is, to me, the quintessential example of the cover that's very different but that actually really does bring something new yeah. to the original song that, Absolutely. That, you just, that you couldn't have gotten the other way. Absolutely. And then, so, uh, going down the list, uh, my friend Ramona uh, provided a couple of these here. Uh, she had brought out also um, Patience, which originally was a Guns N' Roses song brought by uh, Chris Cornell. We also just lost very recently, uh, who was yeah. a really deep cut, deep loss for me. But uh, to hear his voice hit those haunting notes was just changing for me. It's life changing for me. It was so good, so good. Well, you're a Washingtonian, and Chris is one of Seattle's favorite sons. And yeah, that I'm not even from the Pacific Northwest, but I grew up. I came of age musically in the alternative era as well, and so Chris was a huge loss. But yeah, that version of that song. I kind of feel like, I remember hearing a story years ago about how um, Jenny Lane from Warrant went on a label visit one year, and they had this huge thing above the door uh, saying, you know, uh, Warrant Cherry Pie, they were the toast of the town, they were the darlings of the label, and then he said that felt great, and then I came back the next year, and the Warrant Cherry Pie poster above the door was replaced by Alice in Chains Dirt, and he said, that's when I noticed a sea change coming. But I think a lot of the guys who started off like really creating a lot of these like early grunge bands um, when the scene first started coming around were I think guys that that either were in or fell out of sort of like late '80s, very early '90s. I guess what they call hair bands. Like I know Allison Chains kind of started off as that, and then they they found their own sound after a minute. But um, yeah, that was uh, I think to pay tribute to kind of like the people who are your influences. Is, is a real, it's one of the hallmarks of, of what a really good cover should be. So hearing Chris do that song, um, it just, you know, really was respectful and beautiful. And I think he kind of haunted his roots with that yeah, a lot. Yeah, kind of haunted. For sure. 
Uh, and then uh, we're going down the list here. Um, my uh, stepbrother, uh, Joey, uh, posted that he, he really enjoyed uh, uh, the original version of Nothing Compares to You by Prince. Which is one of those songs that originally I had no idea was a cover because the first yeah. version that we heard from that, of course, was from Sinead O'Connor. Um, but uh, Prince's version of that is is super super good, and and I want to say that uh, Chris Cornell did a version of that one as well. Uh, that was also very very good. Went to the doctor and guess what it told me? Yeah, for sure. Well, and that, yeah, that kind of brings up another whole tangent that we I, I we don't want to go off on too far because we're working down the list here. But there's a lot of songs that, like the one that that springs immediately to mind for me that we didn't know that it was written by somebody else's um, Natalie and Brulia's "Torn," which was like a, the biggest hit that she had, and uh, it's kind of a poppy, you know, slickly produced, you know, pop song that was on kind of mainstream top forty radio at the time. Right. But um, it was a cover that was originally recorded by a band called Edna Swap. It's my, my grandma's name was Edna, E-D-N-A-S-W-A-P, Edna Swap. And their version of Torn is almost like a really grungy, um, dirgy kind of sounding version of it. It's not kind of like pop, upbeat with the plastic drums and the really bright, sunny vocal. Um, it actually kind of, it, to me, sells the, uh, the, the, the theme of the lyrics a little better, but... Continuing down the list, another one of the ones that you're talking about, the ones that we didn't know were cover songs. Uh, we talked about this before we started recording, was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Which yeah. Anyone talks about that song, it's always from the theme from The Bodyguard and, and Whitney Houston's cover of that, which was amazing. But uh, what I didn't know was it was a Dolly Parton song. Bittersweet memories that is all I'm taking with me. So goodbye. Oh, please don't cry. Cause we both know that I'm not what you need. But I Yeah, that kind of gets into the different interpretations of like, because um, Whitney Houston was definitely a belter. I mean, she was a classic R&B singer, and she could really push a lot of air, and, and she the power in her voice was astonishing. But uh, Dolly was more of a, a crooner. You know, she kind of laid back a little bit on it and did it as more of like a lilting thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, they both sort of have their, 
their place. And, you know, Dolly is just a national treasure. I adore her. And, you know, so anytime that she's ever spoken about Whitney's cover, she said, you know, she took my song and she made it, you know, into its own thing for her. And I was flattered when she did it. And I just kind of, I love her interpretation of it. It's a song that's very personal and very special to me, but I love what Whitney did with it. So I'll always be grateful to her for bringing it to the, a wider audience. Absolutely. And, and I want to kind of mention everybody on my, on my uh, Facebook who mentioned these. Uh, so uh, Megan was the one who had, had talked about uh, Whitney Houston. So uh, shout out to Megan there for that one. Uh, moving down the list, we get to my friend Genevieve, and she she presented quite the list, but just to cull a few from that list, uh, we have uh, Guns N' Roses' cover of a Paul McCartney track, Live and Let Die. Now, I've seen that track end up on both a good and a bad list, but I, for one, have always rather enjoyed it um, in as much as I enjoy anything that Guns N' Roses has done. Uh, what are your thoughts on that particular track? No, I kind of love it, too, because, I mean, there's a certain edge that, like, if you're a heavier band than the band you're covering, you have an opportunity to take... Because really, I mean, and I want to go off on another tangent here, but I, I really enjoy... Whenever anybody has a certain style, like we were talking about me first with the Gimme Gimme's or Richard Cheese, and they have a style, and they do covers in that style, um, for a while there, I, I wasn't really sure how I felt about any given contemporary song that had come out in the last couple of years until I went on YouTube and I checked out Walk Off the Earth's cover, I checked out um, Pentatonix's cover, and then I had to check out um, uh, Postmodern Jukebox's cover, because... You know, it just really proves listening to all these other groups and bands that have a specific style that songwriting is kind of universal. I mean, I'm not going to say songwriting doesn't change because obviously trends do change. But, you know, if you listen to some of those songs, it becomes apparent that melody and lyric are kind of universal things. And really just production, presentation and arrangement are what kind of make right. songs what they are. The interpretation. So, of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and those those three were, were just, for, had a good run for a couple of years there, just taking, you know, familiar contemporary pop and rock songs and kind of making them, we're going to do this in an acapella style, we're going to do this in, in uh, you know, to, to, to do this in our own style, and, and I always appreciate when somebody has enough talent to be able to take an existing piece of work and then just really put such an interesting spin on it that you know that it's, it's, it's going to be their song from now on. Yeah, and, and, and uh, to finish out with Genevieve, the ones I have the most experience with, uh, thank you again, Genevieve, for your contribution here. Uh, but Guns N' Roses again doing Sympathy for the Devil by Rolling Stones. Yeah, Live and Let Die and Sympathy for the Devil both, they just really benefited from uh, from that classic uh, attitude-laden axle snarl, I think, on the lead vocal especially. And then to bring a certain amount of, of crunch and heaviness to the instrumental arrangement. Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, both of those songs really were, were somewhat enhanced uh, to, to be, to, they benefited from that treatment quite a bit. Absolutely, I agree completely. And then to round out Genevieve's list, and, and again, thank you, Genevieve, uh, we have uh, Marilyn Manson doing Soft Cell's Tainted Love. Yeah. 
just a I mean that's just an inspired chunky, choice for him. Chunky, dark, uh, super melodic. I, I I really enjoyed that one. I don't know what else to say about that one. That was a really good one. Well, you know, it's kind of a it's it's a cover within a cover in a way because I mean I, I don't I have not heard Marilyn Manson's version in quite a long time, but the original soft cell version of Tainted Love had kind of a a tag on the end of it where they did um, a little bit of a pastiche with the the Supremes' Where Did Our Love Go, which I thought was also really brilliant at the time. Hmm. I, do, I remember that. Moving down the list, um, we got my friend Brian uh, was in my first band. Or actually, he was in my, my Tool Tribute band, excuse me, my second band. Uh, we called him Toki because he had a really good uh, Toki from uh, Death Clock uh, voice that he would do all the time. Looks as all this fine cheese and, and grapes and this, the really nice spreads that works real hard on. No, that's not food! That's fucking bullshit! But Toki chimed in with uh, anything that disturbed covered by Phil Collins. And... I kind of tend to agree with that. 10,000 Fists was uh, one of the albums that, that really caught my attention. And that, be- and that was because they did uh, the cover of Land of Confusion. Which, which I was great. Th- thought was fantastic. It was upbeat. It was contemporary, and and I mean, and I'm a huge Phil Collins fan to begin with, so I enjoyed the original. Yeah. But it was really fun to hear this upkicked version of uh, a song that I already enjoyed. So Dave Draymond has got this amazing voice that he just he has this, this ability to kind of combine a gritty growl with like a really bright sort of sonic overtone that I just have always found immensely appealing. I, I think he's anything he sings, I, I tend to be a fan of. Right, and 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 into his credit, uh, Disturbed does a cover pretty much on every single album that they release. Uh, Down with the Sickness was uh, the first album, or the Sickness was their first album, and uh, I distinctly remember because that album didn't leave my my CD player for a very long time when I first got it, and the cover that they did on there was Tears for Fears' Shout. I go out of my way to find just super unique covers, and that's what that was. Their cover of that contemporized that song in a way that was unique at the time for me. Uh, my old film instructor, Kevin, uh, came out with some very, very good covers. I guess uh, Devo did a cover of Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And it's crazy. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing a story about how Mick Jagger, because if you've never heard the cover of um, of Satisfaction by Devo, it's a very Devo cover. It's 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 got this disjointed rhythm to it. Yeah, the the the, the background track almost sounds like somebody dumping a toolbox down a set of stairs. It's very just janky and clanky and and disjointed <laughs> and rhythmic. But I remember um, um, hearing about how Mick Jagger had actually heard 
the uh, that that version of it, and he was dancing by the second verse because he just he really appreciated what Devo had done with it, and I, I kind of agree with with Mick. So it's it's a fun one to listen to. And then of course uh, we get down the list, and, and I've had several people respond with uh, uh, a little bit edgier stuff. Uh, Metallica did an album called Garage Days back in the day, uh, which was uh, really well accepted and and well uh, liked. Uh, they did a couple of, I mean, that whole album was covers. They did a cover of uh, Stone Cold Crazy by uh, Queen. Yeah, my favorite all-time band is Queen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. And then uh, Die, Die, My Darling from The Misfits. My friend James uh, was talking about this as well. Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower, uh, which is a Bob Dylan track, but brought it by Jimmy. Uh, and that yep. and that brings us to another level. It's like like we were talking about with uh, Hurt by uh, um, the cover track that Johnny Cash did, where he takes the original track and kind of makes it his own, and, and you kind of stop seeing it as a Trent Reznor track anymore after that. Same thing with uh, All Along the Watchtower. I never really knew that as a Bob Dylan track. I mean, in the back of my head, I knew it, but I've only ever heard Jimmy's version. Whenever anywhere I thought of that song, I would only ever hear Jimmy's version. Yeah, and there's a good reason for that. I mean, I'm not going to ding Bob Dylan, the man's a genius, but, you know, I, I really did. If you're going to sit there and compare geniuses, you know, I, I you can put Jimmy against Bob Dylan and they both stack up in their own way, but I really think that the, the, the Hendrix Experience version of uh, All Along the Watchtower, it was, it, that was just, it was its own thing. It was, it was ethereal. I just, you can't, you can't really compare the two. It's almost like they share common DNA, but they're like uh, fraternal twins in a way. Right, completely different at the core. Uh, yeah. And then my friend Gabe uh, also mentioned some off of the Metallica album with uh, their covers of Motorhead and uh, Last Caress Green Hill um, in particular off of that Garage Days album. Uh, again, very, yeah, I very always appreciated good. Metallica's cover of, uh, of Stone Cold Crazy because, uh, you know, being a huge, huge Queen fan, one of the things that always drew me to Queen was that they really, they didn't tie themselves down to genre. I mean, they're, they're well known for certain songs, but Queen is kind of one of those bands that, I mean, lately they've gotten a lot more... Um, interest because of the movie and, and because of uh, you know a, a resurgence in the pop culture but mm-hmm. you know if you could play somebody you could play in a vacuum you could play Bohemian Rhapsody for somebody you could play We Are the Champions for somebody you could play um, 
another one bites the dust, and it's like three different bands. So Queen is kind of like among speed metal uh, provocateurs, they're kind of like credited with, if not inventing the genre, at least creating the first song that retroactively that label could be applied to mm-hmm. in Stone Cold Crazy. And that was like, that was, uh, I want to say 76. That was off the News of the World album. So that was very, very early before you had your your, uh, your Megadeths or before you had your Sepulturas or before you had like a lot of your, your metal bands. And so they, um, they, they really were kind of the progenitors of a genre that didn't exist at the time they created the song. Right, and and my friend Eric brings up Dweezil Zappa's "Staying Alive." I've not heard that one, so I'm going to click on that here real quick. Thank you, Eric, for that suggestion. I've not heard that one before. Brilliance. Uh, and apparently that song contains uh, guitar solos. And he said, in order, uh, Dweezil Zappa, Zach Wilde, Steve uh, Lukather, and Warren Demartini. Oh, and Nuno Benincourt. And Tim Peters. Ah, Nuno. Jesus. That's, yeah, that's, some, that's a good pedigree. That's quite a list. It really is. Uh, we talked <clears throat> about Hurt. We talked about Hurt. Thank you again, Scott, for bringing that one up. So really, I mean, we've got kind of the idea about uh, what makes a good cover. And, and we've covered a lot of really good tracks in this break. But we're going to take yeah. a short uh, break here. Uh, I'm going to listen to a few more tracks. And when we come back, I want to talk about the flip side of that coin, which would be the bad covers. Stick around. Womp womp. Womp womp. All right, welcome back. So we've talked about good cover songs. We've gone through quite a few that I didn't know existed that I'm super stoked to listen to in their length. But uh, now is something that we're all familiar with, is we're going to talk about bad cover songs. Now, just like we know the DNA of what makes a good cover song, we've talked about it before, reverence to the original or adding something unique and something new, that's the point where I think we're going to diverge here because you can try hard to add something new and it just doesn't hit. And I believe you wanted to start this out. What's your uh, recent example of of a bad cover song? I fully expect to get roasted for this, but music, like we've discussed, either hits you or doesn't. And uh, a lot of the times that's kind of a an unconscious thing that's based on emotion rather than logic. But um, there's recently in the last couple of weeks a cover of Under Pressure um, by Queen and Bowie, two acts that I have very Mad uh, a respect. whole lot of love for. Mad and I'm not saying you can't cover those guys because I you know I I have been in bands that cover those guys. It's it's possible to touch their catalog, but this cover of Under Pressure that just came out by Karen O from the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Willie Nelson. It's the terror of knowing what the world is about. Watching some good friends screaming, let me out. I love them both. I love the AAS. Karen's a great singer, and I love Willie Nelson. He's he's a living legend, and it'll you know he's he's one of the greatest uh, singer songwriters we have. But they did this cover of Under Pressure that's just 
it just it, it kind of lays there like a ten dollar hooker. It just it doesn't do anything for me. It's just flat and slow, and Willie kind of gives it all the oomph of like overcooked spaghetti, and it's it just it doesn't. <laughs> It makes me sad to hear it because the original song is like this defiant declaration of we have to love each other, and even though we're we're all dealing with stress, we have to transcend that and just you know love, love, love. This is our last chance. But these two sing it like they are you know have each swallowed a fistful of diazepam. It's just it's sleepy <laughs> and it's slow and it just doesn't do. It, it takes the the spirit of the original song and just kind of waters it down to an almost homeopathic level to the point where. What's left is barely recognizable. No, I agree, and, and I hadn't heard that one until you mentioned it, and so I clicked on that and listened to it, and you're right. It's kind of sleepy. It's kind of... <sighs> Why? Why did you bother? Yeah, it just it, it just doesn't do anything. It, it didn't need to happen. And it's a shame, because like I said, I love them both, but it, it's just, as a cover, it just kind of... It sounds kind of a wet fart to me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't dig it at all. Now, one of the songs that keeps coming up on the list... Now, I've had people put this song on the good and the bad, and I'm going to say I'm guilty of singing this one at karaoke all the time. And not because I love it, but because I can do it, and I know that there are people that enjoy it, and sometimes you play to your audience. Yeah. Uh, We're going to go with... (laughs) We talked about good Disturbed covers, now let's talk about one that is universally kind of lauded, or not lauded, excuse me, universally uh, panned, which would be their cover of Simon and Garfunkel, Sound of Silence. What do you think about that song? I hate to agree with you, especially because I'm going to contradict myself when I just said in the last segment that I love Dave Draymond's voice and he almost always improves everything, but this is kind of the exception that proves the rule. Um, a lot of my friends love that song and that arrangement of it, um, but I, I just don't. I just don't. And and usually, like you said, when Disturbed and Dave pick their covers, they always pick something inspired and they, they find a way to really make it good and and kind of you know put their stamp on it, but... Um, yeah, Sound of Silence is just, it's... Ugh. Not, I, I not silent it's, enough. No, and it's really difficult because it's hard to pin down why it doesn't work, but again, it just kind of goes back to that gut-level gut check of just, this either works or doesn't, and it just didn't for me. I mean, I'm not trying to ding them at all. I, I love Disturbed, and like we just talked about earlier, most of the time they take something and you, you just they kind of just pump it up and make it great, but... This just was, this was a, a, a swing and a miss for me. Yeah, and I agree. And and in fact, <laughs> a funny story about this one is uh, we we did a couple of practices at a local venue prior to COVID hitting and everything. And yeah. uh, we had a venue that we uh, kind of rented out the space and would do uh, practices in this space to kind of test out live material. And uh, my mom had been visiting, and she doesn't get an opportunity to hear me sing very often because, you know, she lives on the other side of the country. She lives closer to you yeah, uh, over there. And uh, so one of the songs that I know she likes was she likes this cover of of Disturbed. And, and so I tried to, over the mic while my bandmates were doing other things, I was trying to, to sing uh, along with a, a backing track for that so she could kind of get a feel for it. And uh, mm-hmm. my band pulled the plug on my microphone while I was doing that. 
<laughs> and my my uh, guitar player James at the time looked at me and goes, "No, <laughs> stop it." <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's a divisive <laughs> one for sure. I, I you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like I I would say you much like Dave. Just because you can sing it doesn't mean you should because it just it it kind of went off the rails a long time ago and. I don't know. I'm sure you do it as as well as anybody possibly could, but it just kind of was a mistake to begin with, in my humble opinion. Right, and and so my friend Toki mentioned uh, that one in particular, and then my friend Ramona brings up. Uh, I guess Britney Spears did a cover of Joan Jett's "I Love Rock and Roll." That one I'm not familiar with. I'm not either, and I am not necessarily going to click on that. Uh, I know I have to. I know I have to. Hold on a minute. My search bar will never forgive me for this one. Nope. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's a very ill fit. I mean, Joan Jett is is a powerhouse vocalist and Britney and is has not. undeniable authenticity and street cred. And Britney, with that breathy little baby whisper, has just <laughs> always kind of made my skin crawl for reasons I can share. I, I'm sure you well understand yeah, based absolutely. on our shared history. And then uh, Kevin, uh, my my old film instructor, Kevin, uh, the one of the bad ones that he mentioned, uh, and in fact, I agree with him on this one. Limp Biscuits, Behind Blue Eyes. No one knows what it's like. To be hated. Uh, obviously a cover of The Who. And uh, it's just... It's like you said. It's like... It's not in bad. It's not like it's offensive. It's just lifeless. Yeah. Which, and I think you know, Limp Bizkit is kind of one of those bands that's up there as a punching bag along with like Creed and Nickelback. And I think for good reason. They, they had a, a flashpoint moment in time where their stuff was kind of of the moment. But they just haven't aged well and... And when they try and bring their unique set of talents to a song that's actually good, and they kind of turn it into what it was, they're not doing either side of the equation that he favors at all. Right. And then, of course, Kevin mentions a GNR cover that uh, that I didn't even think about as a bad one, Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. Um, yeah. I heard GNR's version of that first, so it's really kind of hard to separate them from that song, but I kind of see where he's going with it. I, I agree with him. Um, that one, is, um, as much as I love Guns N' Roses, and I do, um, Axel tried to do some stuff with the lead vocal on that one that just, I don't think, I think it was just bad choices, you know, from a, a performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least he got the whole act into it. He, he got, like, the orchestral voices in the back, and, I mean, it was very well and slickly produced uh, for something that maybe wasn't their best idea. So uh, my friend James uh, mentions, uh, he says it's worse. the worst thing that he can think of is when rappers took Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train and massacred it. And I had to explain to him, it's like, now I understand what track he's talking about, um, but it's not a cover strictly. What that is is just egregious sampling. Uh, yeah, it can be I hard to separate say, the two. I want to say it was Little John, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 
they're just using they're sampling the chorus and 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 using that as a yeah as a backing track and, and a lot of hip-hop artists are, are are guilty of doing that to one degree or another and and that's fine they can do whatever they want as long as they pay for the rights i'm looking at you vanilla ice and your ice ice baby no it's that's different than queen because they add that extra note on the end of the phrase okay uh-huh. whatever i never agreed with that nope <laughs> Uh, that seems to be all I got on my list on the Facebook group. A lot of people focused on the positives, but uh, well, that's uh, good. Yeah, there's definitely some bad ones out there, though. Um, one of the this uh, we talked earlier about, like me first in the Gimme Gimmies and Richard Cheese doing covers in a certain style. Mm-hmm. There's a band that I hesitate to almost bring up because um, they're yeah, I really shouldn't, but I'm going to now that I said that. They are called Hazy Dixie, and they do ACDC <laughs> covers in bluegrass style. <laughs> and you listen to them, and you're automatically, like, right out of the gate, sort of struck by the audacity of it. And then the more you listen, you just kind of, like, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with this, but I just don't, it's not working. I don't like it. Like, they did a uh, a cover of Thunderstruck and another one of Highway to Hell, and it's, it's uh, they're not good. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting idea, and it can work in other contexts, like we talked about with, like, Richard Cheese, but, like, the idea of doing bluegrass covers of ACDC songs, it, it just, it doesn't, it, 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 I don't, I could sit here and stammer all day, but it, it doesn't work for me at all. Sheer fucking hubris. Honest to God, that's really all it is. Speaking of hubris, did you know they did a version of Bohemian Rhapsody? I see a little silhouette of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, when you do the Fandango. Well, now I do. Thanks a lot for that. Ugh. God help us all. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan. It just makes me sad and sound like a puppy left outside alone in the rain. I, I'm not, I don't. I can't. It didn't need to happen. There's no subtlety to it. There's no nuance to it. Like it's a very thought-provoking no. song when when Freddie Mercury belts it out. Uh, and I'll even give Adam Lambert a bit of, of uh, free uh, reign with this song as well. He does a very good yeah. job of it as well. And same with Mark Martell, who uh, sounds eerily like Freddie Mercury, who sings with their official tribute band, The Queen Extravaganza. He's didn't he's, he assist? He did an amazing with, job with that as well. Didn't he assist with the lyrics for the or the vocals for the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? He did. He's not allowed to say where he does and does not appear in the film, but uh, sharp-eared listeners and viewers of the film have. Pointed it out, but Mark's voice is so similar to the young Freddie Mercury that he did wind up filling in for the Bohemian Rhapsody film when they when they needed vocals from a young Freddie that they couldn't dig up out of the archives, and nobody noticed. It's that seamless. No, he's great. Um, he's phenomenal. I love that guy. <laughs> I mean, and I get what the what these guys uh, are trying to do. Uh, Hazy Dixie, I get what they're trying to do, and I've seen it done, but I've seen yeah. it done better. Uh, and one that yeah. springs to mind is. Uh, there was a bluegrass cover of uh, Slipknot uh, that I think Leo Morricioli uh, contributed to as well, and that was very, very good. And so I think what separates this version of Psychosocial um, from something that, uh, like we were just talking about with Hazy Dixie, 
is the intention behind it. Now, it looked for me, like, for all intents yeah. and purposes, like, Hasey Dixie was trying their very best to to, to make a, a, a cover of it that was just fun, but it seemed like a lot of work. Whereas when you look at the video mm-hmm. for this and you listen to the, to the, to the way they put this together, uh, they're just having fun. And that's, yeah, I think that's sure. a real easy way to tell uh, if, so, if something's going to be a good cover or not. Because Whether it, it sounds labored or effortless. Right. Because for me, if it seems effortless, it means that they've got an affection and affiliation and a, and, and a deep abiding love of the, of the source material, in which case uh, that's great. It shines through in the music, but with things like uh, that Willie Nelson track with the doing under pressure, it just feels like it's done by rote. Like they like the label told them they had to do yeah. it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. So yeah, I totally agree with you. It just you know, it either works or doesn't, and that's that's nothing you can really quantify except for your emotional reaction to it, and and that's something that you know it's you can't you can't break it down any more than that. So um, I think what we've kind of come to the conclusion of is is a large part of what makes a good and successful cover track is the intention behind it, the heart behind it, the the love of the original the source material. And whether that's going to be uh, uh, a faithfulness to the source material or whether that's going to be uh, just an acknowledgement of it while taking it in your own direction, uh, it's got to be, you got to be able to feel that kind of methodology behind the song because if you don't, it's just going to come across as something that someone did, you know, just for shits yeah. and giggles or, or because the, like, the label like the- told them to. Yeah, or like the the Counting Crows version of Big Yellow Taxi, which was just lifeless and limp and didn't need to exist. And that's another one that I was thinking about when we were talking about um, like the singer songwriter stuff. It, it just I love Counting Crows. Um, you know, Joni Mitchell is great, but like just the two of them together for some reason just kind of hit the wall like a ripe tomato and slid down real slow. <laughs> but it's got to be fun. I mean, and, and we were talking yeah. earlier about rap or uh, rap songs being done by. Uh, uh, people outside of the genre. I had a, yeah. a friend of mine, uh, a band that I played with numerous times, uh, got up and did a cover of Lose Yourself by Eminem, but as a heavy metal band. And it's something that caught my attention from across the room. And I, kinda, I was at the bar and I turned around and I'm like, and, yeah. and, 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 and it, it, it draws your attention in and it's got something for you. And uh, it's not one of those technically accurate songs, of course, kind of like in the in the vein of uh, Gin and Juice and, and uh, the other ones by uh, those uh, grunge acts of the early uh, to mid-90s. But uh, it's, it's, it's something you can tell they're having a lot of fun with. So uh, It does definitely make a difference. Right. And so kind of that's where I land on the whole thing. Is, and, and like I said, I go out of my way to find good pop covers, good punk covers, good metal covers. MXPX did quite a few. Um, Me First and the Gimme Gimme's, I was a huge fan of their entire catalog. Um, I also had an album, and I remember this distinctly, Saturday Morning Cartoon theme music done by... I loved that. I have that, that album. album. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And, uh, that was that's I wanted to kind of try and sneak that in at some point. They, that came out around the same time as um, there was a Schoolhouse Rock Rocks album that all the Schoolhouse Rock songs, and I, I bought that one primarily because I'm a huge Better Than Ezra fan, and Better Than Ezra got to do Conjunction Junction on that record. Conjunction Junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. 
Junction, how's that function? I got green favorite cars that get most of my job done. I think um, I've heard that one. Yeah, sit. Oh yeah, the Saturday morning uh, cartoon. I, I think the Ramones did the Spider-Man. The Ramones theme song, did Spider-Man, and one of my great. favorites was Hong Kong Fui, done by Sublime. By Sublime. Oh God, that was so good, and, and I mean that was just and then, yeah inspired. And Josie and the Pussycats by, by I think Julianne Hatfield three. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, Matthew just, Sweet they, they did, did a really, uh, Scooby Doo. They did yeah, they did a great job matching up artists with song. And I want to say uh, I want to say didn't Helmet do Gigantor? I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, they did. Oh, God, I love that record. I still play that once in a while. That one and the Conjunction Junction record where, you know, uh, Better Than Ezra did um, Con- uh, uh, Conjunction Junction on the Schoolhouse Rock Rocks album, and there was, uh, gosh, Chavez did a song on that one, and I think Bismarck Key was also on there <laughs> doing all the old, uh, you know, I'm Just a Bill. It just it, it was the mid-'90s was, was a totally chaotic uh, time of anarchy on, on the musical landscape, and shit like that could come out and sell a billion copies and, and that's I, I kind of miss that right and so i mean again i think it all boils down to having fun with the material um you gotta just be having fun you gotta you gotta make it your own you gotta take it in a direction that nobody expects and and, and just kind of get down with it i mean and that's why again that's why i like leo more surely that's why i like uh 10 second yep. songs on youtube that's why i like things like the cartoon saturday night uh, morning soundtrack i love shit like that i love finding just these unique takes, and that's why Richard Cheese will always have a warm place in my heart. Uh, I got. I think my favorite cover of all time, if I really could boil it down, and, all right, and give it to feet me. to fire, is is one that kind of falls into that category. It's it's a song that was presented a certain way in its original form, and then it was taken and run in a totally different direction by the band that covered it, and that is Cake doing Gloria Gaynor's "I Will Survive." Ooh. My favorite cover Ooh. of all time, because the original song was a disco theme of female empowerment of, you know, Gloria Gaynor was singing about moving on from a bad relationship. Right, right. You can beat me down. You can you can try and destroy me, but I'll survive. And then it was given over to Cake when they did it. And <laughs> John McRae has this really famously flat monotone delivery. So the combination of the... Uh, the monotone delivery with with the the defiant lyrics of survival just creates this this tension this juxtaposition that is fucking hilarious and works really well plus the instrumental track uh cake has always had an amazing bass player and they got that trumpet and the vibra slap that's coming in there and the instrumental track just fucking slaps but what really makes it <laughs> is just the, the the weird juxtaposition of the deadpan vocal mixed with the lyrics about defiance and and uh, survival it's just, it's a it's a brilliant take and it is easily my favorite cover of all time well and and I think we're gonna go out with that track then and uh, as we leave we're gonna play a bit of that track but uh, Jim I want to thank you for jumping on here with me I know you're insanely busy so I'm always happy to have you on 
Well, so are you. We make time. We make time. That's what we do. That's right. Fantastic conversation as always. I want to thank all of y'all for listening in. Uh, and if you've got a comment as to what your favorite or least favorite cover tracks are, hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, or hit me in my uh, Gmail, uh, fuel your fandom at gmail.com. Of course, we always want to have you as a part of the conversation. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And uh, remember, everything is fandom. Fandom is everything. Let's have some cake. I was afraid, I was petrified. I kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights just thinking how you'd done me wrong. I grew strong.